Hi, and welcome to the 40 Drinks Podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie McLaughlin. Today, we're talking to my friend, Eric Diamond, who assumed that who he was in his late 30s was who he was going to be for the rest of his life. But then he made one little change that dominoed into changing the course of his entire life. It may sound like hyperbole, but I promise you it's not. Let's start at the beginning. Thanks so much for joining us. Nice to join you again. It's nice to talk to you again, see you again. Yeah, yeah, same here. So for folks who are listening, a little background on Eric. You and I first met, you were roommates with my now husband when we met and started dating. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so that means we've known each other for 10 years now. And man, a lot has changed in both of our worlds in 10 years, wouldn't you say? A little bit. Yeah. Well, I haven't it, first seen, but... Right, right. Yeah. yeah, and I could say the same on, on my part as well. And of course, I uh, decided to do things in a more sort of meandering and organic fashion, whereas you decided to do things all at once. But we're going to get to that in a minute. Let's... Do some suspense here. And so you and I actually spoke earlier this year when I was just sort of dreaming up this podcast. I reached out to a few people to sort of talk about turning 40. And so you turned 40 during the pandemic. Yeah. Yep. Okay. And tell me a little bit about how you felt approaching 40. You know, what were, were you? Yeah. Tell me how you were feeling. Being in your 30s is a whirlwind experience all in itself because like when you're just turning 30, you're like, you're not really in your 30s when you're 30. And then by the time you get to like your mid 30s, you're like, oh, I'm in my 30s. And so as I approached turning 40, I thought about like how my mother took it when she turned 40. She didn't take it well. Um, But uh, for me, I was like, like, yeah, it was not a big deal. Like, Kind of like that's, I think that's the front I kind of put on while in the back of my brain. I'm like, oh my God, I'm turning 40. Like, I feel so old, but at the same time, I don't feel old. I don't know. Right. Um, yeah, it was, I was just kind of doing my own thing. And so, like, turning 40 was just going to be like another thing for me. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? How 40 has changed over the course of generations. I think when my parents turned 40, their their generation was very much of the mind that, you know, 40 was midlife crisis time and it was, you know, crazy things, you know, leave your family for the secretary or, you know, buy a fast car or, you know, those kinds of crazy things that I, I'm sure were hugely stereotypical. But I think, you know, those th- the stereotypes are based on some truths somewhere. So. So when my folks turned 40, their generation, it was very much of a of a midlife crisis. And it doesn't feel that way for it didn't feel that way for me. And it doesn't feel that way for sort of the folks who are, you know, right around 40 now. Would you agree? I do agree. Um, Yeah, because now it's like, oh, you're just 40. It's like there's so much ahead of you. So it's I feel like it's. with the number of people that go on to college, it's like they can delay 
being an adult because they get like mm-hmm. four free years to kind of explore and do whatever they want. And so it kind of pushes back that like adulthood where our parents were like, you get married and have kids and get a job when you're 22 or whatever, you know, it's, so it's right. definitely a little bit different for us. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Uh, you know, a generation ago at 22, you set the course of your life by the time you were 22, whether it was, you know, college and after or, you know, marriage and straight into family. You're right. It was it was very much. And I know that there are folks who still do that now, but they seem to be more the minority. Um, right. And certainly the the. I have some friends who have kids in college now or kids actually delaying college now because of the, you know, the pandemic world. And um, and so things I think are going to be wildly different for them, you know, while they're by the time they get to 40. Um, so you said your mom had a tough time with it. Do you remember anything about that? Yeah, I think it was, you know, I mean, I was pretty young at the time, but, you know, when she turned 40, I remember just her overall being upset, like her best friend tried doing like a big birthday thing about it and like there were balloons all over the neighborhood and my mom did, she doesn't like a lot of attention anyways but the fact that it was all about turning 40 i think kind of added to the existential dread that you know that we all face every once in a while in our lives but with 40 i think it hit her hard because for years she always said that she was just turning 29 <laughs> yeah but you know my mom fortunately for her, like you know, she she's got good genes and she doesn't look like the age she is. She still looks like she's in her forties. You know, I mean, hopefully she hears this at some point and hears that compliment and remembers <laughs> I said that. Um, <laughs> we'll make sure. We'll make sure. Yeah. It's funny you just used a term that you used previously when you and I talked. You actually said, I don't know. So I don't know if this is a familial thing or a milestone thing. You talked about having your own existential dread while you were facing 40. So tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, I'd come to terms with uh, not doing some of the big milestone things that like you mentioned before, like marriage or anything like that. Like I kind of put that off. I look back at it. I'm like, oh, well, I kind of did some of those things, but not a lot of those things. And, uh, you know, I was able to get my master's degree, but, you know, that didn't happen by 35. It happened like by 37 instead. Mm-hmm. You know? So I guess I was doing okay in that sense. And uh, definitely something that turning 40 meant that I felt like I was putting more pressure on myself to uh, with this arbitrary kind of thing that you should have done these things by now. And if they had, then then they weren't going to happen at all, potentially, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. So it's interesting because the, the word should comes up so many times in these conversations. And I'm curious what was there, like what external authority or what, what mark was it that that made you believe that you should have things by a certain time or achieved things by a certain time? Do you have any way to to even interpret where that comes from? It's like a leftover from the previous generation, right? But I don't I don't like these are the things you ought to do and because that's what your parents did and that's what they did and and all that. But I, I feel like at the same time, like the previous generation or two of parents, like they were able to make it so like their kids didn't have to necessarily follow the same kinds of standards that they had to. So like for me and my parents, my parents, like they got married super young, had three boys super young. And I think that like 
always stayed embedded in the back of my brain somewhere like don't do those things like you can do other things and right and but at some point like you don't act on it then like potentially they don't happen at all but you know for me it was this i didn't want to, my parents are happily married by the way i don't want to make it sound awful but like i didn't want it to just do all the things you know in my 20s or anything like that i wanted to explore things and then i don't know that makes any I, sense but. No, it does. I totally get what you're saying, right? Because you I, I feel the same way, right? So my parents got married super young. They had me super young and my my brothers were not far behind me. So so yeah, very, very similar. And and you're exactly right. They they worked so hard to make sure that we had opportunities that they didn't or that we had we could do things differently. And yet they tried to hold us to the same standards and timelines that worked for them. Right. And yet the world changed. And so now you, it's so much harder. So my parents' early life was almost a mythical creature because they were a, a one-income family. My my dad worked full-time. My mom didn't work. They owned their own home. They raised three children. My mother stayed home until my youngest brother was in first grade. And then she went to college. Um, and it's just not possible anymore. Right or very, very difficult or very, very unique to, to follow right. that path. And yet you're right. I, I remember my dad doing a, a lot of sort of shooting, you know, like, you know, you should get a, you know, get a good job or, you know, he was, he was very traditional and maybe that's what it was. Maybe it's, it was just the traditions that they, they tried to, tried to stick to that, I know for me, and I'm, I'm a few years older than you, like they hadn't quite fully fallen apart yet. Those traditions, Um, when I graduated college, there was, it was still possible that you could get a job and be with that company for, for your entire career. Right. Very shortly thereafter that was falling apart. And uh, you know, the kids who did start those jobs, you know, got sold a bill of goods because they're no longer with those companies, I would bet. But, um, it's a whole different experience now, the kind of world we live in. And and things aren't linear anymore, right? You don't have to do one thing to get you don't have to do A to get to B and B to get to C and 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 so on. Yeah. 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 And I think at least for us, like different paths that people like more paths that people take now. Uh they they've definitely opened up a lot more for a lot of different people. Which is great. And I tell that to my students too. I'm like, you yeah, way more opportunities than even I had growing up and you don't have to follow one set path. You can do anything you really want. You know, it's good to explore those things as well. Whereas before I felt like, I don't know, I wonder if it's like a, a leftover from like the Great Depression and the World War II kind of generation. Like, no, you have to do these things. Right. And not only do you have to do these things, but you have to be one thing, right? You have to know what you're going to be and now I think, you know, people have multiple careers, right? right? And didn't you have some of that too? You didn't know that you were going to be doing what you're doing now. Is that right? No, I had no idea. Um, I mean, I went to college and studied politics because I thought that's what I wanted to do. 
again, like, but I also like was pretty naive going into college. Um, I wasn't planning on going to college at first. I was going to join the military. Um, oh, wow. But uh, decided to apply to schools anyways, because like my guidance counselor said like, oh, you have decent grades. So you should check out some schools. And I did and got a scholarship. And so, you know, the military went you know, to the wayside. And uh, but even after college, it was, it was just one of those things. Like, I don't know really what I want to do. I, you know, I went to school for four years. I'm not sure what. Politics like really didn't sound intriguing to me anymore, um, at least as for anything in a career. And so I kind of fell into teaching, like working in the school. It was actually my old teachers. So I went back and substituted at my old high school. And some of my old teachers were like, you should go back to school for education. Like, check it out. Like, you're great with the kids here. They like Thank you. Like, and so I kind of just like rolled with it from there. and. You know, still doing it. So I mean, like 16, 17 years later, like. But even like when, you, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but even you said you've said to me before that um, when you thought to be a teacher, you never thought you'd be a middle school teacher. Oh yeah, absolutely. No, it, it's because like growing up, like in, in school, or, or, I remember people saying like, "Oh, you should be a teacher." Like, no way. It's like no no teenager, no fifteen year old boy wants to hear that they want to be a teacher because they want to be like the rock star or something like that. Instead, like like no way, I'm not going to be a teacher. And then like when I started teaching high school, I would look down on middle school teachers like, oh, you teach middle school? No way. Like now I'm here and I'm like, oh, I kind of like it. It's you know the kids are funny, the age group is funny, and so like just discovering that you know at this point because I've only been teaching in middle school for it's my third year now. Um, I was like, oh, I wish I did this earlier. So, but isn't that a great part of the evolution though, right? And that's, you know, that's a lot of what I'm exploring these, the sort of years leading up to 40, where you, you know, peel off all the things that, you know, you thought, right? You mm-hmm. thought teaching high school would be cooler because high school kids are cooler or, you know, right. And, but then as you got into it, you're like, actually, I'm really drawn to the thing I thought I hated from the beginning, right? It's like, right. that's what's, that's what really sings to me. So were there other transitions like that, um, you know, through your, your middle thirties that, that you felt like, you know, sort of uncovering pieces of you or, or, uh, you know, learning things about yourself that you didn't know before. Yeah, I think like, I mean, again, what this one's like more is also like education related is like thinking about like the purpose of school, like that started to change for me. Like, uh, you know, like you think of school, you go to school and, and you're in these things and that's, and you graduate and that's it. But like, I still started. Me and my best friend, my best friend's name is Jeremy. He and I would have like these in-depth philosophical discussions about what education is supposed to be and what it is that we're trying to do for students. And it kind of like reshaped my opinion about the purpose of an education and my role as an educator. And that was like, that was about like early to mid thirties. I was probably around 33 years old at that time and started to change like how I view myself in the classroom and, and, you know, how and what I teach. It's not so much about the content. So now it's more about, you know, 
skills, certainly, but, you know, the relationships, the rapport with students and making them feel like they're a person, because especially middle schoolers, they want to be seen as a person because that's they're developing their personalities more, like they're coming out more. And, and so that's kind of like, that was a big shift for me, just seeing how I see myself differently as a teacher as well. Um, and I think there were other things for you as you approached 40 where you thought, oh, I, I think I know who I am. And I, I so tell us a little bit about that. You you had a, a moment where you just sort of said, you know, to heck with it all. I'm out of here. Yeah. I, uh, every once in a while, I, I would I would just want to just like leave things and go on a go away and, and, and travel or, or go on a road trip do a kind of a Jack Kerouac kind of thing, maybe, I don't know. Um, and, and kind of saw myself like, well, am I going to be uh, that person, uh, the eternal bachelor, um, not tied down to a lot of things, um, you know, the teacher that, you know, jet sets in the summertime or every vacation or whatever, which still does sound appealing. Uh, but, uh you know, like priorities do change. And, but like, I kind of like put myself in that corner where I'm like, well, that's what I, that's what I've been dealt. That's how I'm perceived by people. Uh, and that's the role I'll fulfill and I accepted it, but like not necessarily happily accepted it. Right. So it's like, well, if, I, if this is who I am now, I'm probably not going to change later. Like, you know, I'll just be that way for the rest of my life, perhaps, which is, I don't know. It sounds kind of gloomy, I guess, when you say it out loud like that, but I don't know. But it's it's so universal. I mean, it may be gloomy, but there's there's that moment where we we and I had it, too. Right. Where it's like, oh, I, I guess this is who I am. Because this is who I've been and this is who people see me as and I don't see a way out of it. So, yeah. Okay, you know, I'll go on being the eternal party girl, you know, who without much depth or, you know, you know, other things you could say about me in my 20s and 30s. And <laughs> right. I, I know exactly what you're talking about, that, you know, friends would would sort of grow up and get married and, and have kids and and sort of like leave me in the dust. And it almost they without even giving me a chance to see, did I fit into their new world because right. they already had me pegged as the single party girl. And don't get me wrong for a long time. I was that girl, but there was definitely a transition period in my later thirties where it was like, well, I can come to your house and have dinner and I'm okay hanging out with the baby. And you know, but yeah. I wasn't given the opportunity because I was sort of pigeonholed in, into a certain yeah into a certain place. I hope you're enjoying my conversation with Eric as much as I am. I wanted to pause for a moment to say, if you're enjoying this conversation, please join me on social media. The 40 Drinks podcast is on Instagram and Facebook as 40 Drinks, F-O-R-T-Y Drinks, all one word. Head over there and tell me what you think about today's conversation and whether you can relate to Eric's story. All right, now back to Eric picked up and got the hell out of Dodge at one point, right? You, you moved, you, you, you sort of like took your life and shook it up completely. Yeah, no, that was a, that was mostly because people thought I wouldn't do that. So I, for a long time, I would just be like 
this is what I do. Eric is not going to go anywhere. He would never move to South Florida ever. And but when the moment came, I guess he's done mostly to kind of prove people wrong um, and to think of me differently for sure. And uh, really glad I did it. Really happy I did it. But uh, what did it do for yeah. you? It kind of one it opened my eyes to being you know that you know living in a place completely different in a place that is definitely more diverse culturally was one of the best things I ever did and it kind of it gave me more confidence in some ways that I could do things on my own um, but it also made me kind of take inventory about who I was and what mattered to me the most and uh, which is so, you know a lot of reasons why I moved back. I think being down there, I was really isolated as well. Like you know, here I live, you know, South Florida, I live like you know, just outside of Fort Lauderdale and very metropolitan areas, but yet like didn't feel in the right place. I always felt like a fish out of water there. Um, and what inspired you to go down there? How did you go from teaching high school in New Hampshire to being in Fort Lauderdale? So it was the it was a challenge of it. You know, one, it was like I was in a working in a, a school that I was just tired of working in. And it was kind of like the movie Groundhog Day. And except I was getting more and more frustrated with where I was. And uh was ready to quit that job anyways. I quit that job. I'm like, I'm out of here. I'm done. Like I gotta advocate for myself, you know, and I'm just gone. And I quit that job without even having another one lined up. And uh when the position in Florida came up, it was again my, my best friend Jeremy, he lives in Florida and he's like, Well we might have a position here at our school, at my school. He's like let me check. And then he did. He's like, Oh, we have an opening here. You should definitely apply. And so that was in like, what is like July of 2016. And then like two weeks later, I was packing up everything I owned and throwing it into a U-Haul and driving myself down to um, South Florida. And like people were shocked. They were like, what do you mean you're leaving? And I'm like, well, like, no, you live in New Hampshire. Like, you live around the corner from me. Like, some of my friends are like, you no, you live around the corner from us. Not anymore. Move it. Do it. Yeah, and, you were uh, always seemed to me very much like the quintessential New Hampshire guy with your, yeah. you're, so, you're so outdoorsy, you ride bikes, you hike. Like, you, like you, I just couldn't imagine you not in mountains and not in woods, yeah. you know? And here right. you were headed to South Florida. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of like... Everyone, everyone through a loop, including myself. Um, I guess like I had like accepted that I was going to be the a certain person here, and um, I've realized that you know if I don't take the opportunity to at least try it, I would probably regret it. And, uh, and more than anything, I wanted to work with my best friend again. If, that, if anything, that was at the top of the list. Yeah, moving down there and, and having a little bit of a support system help me. If I didn't have that at all. I think I, I don't know if I would have gone. Right. Um, I always liked the idea of it because I, even before that, I, I uh, applied for a couple other international schools. Uh, like, oh, I, could, I'm, I was told uh, by an educational consultant, he's like, well, you're young. 
Uh, you don't have any kids. You're not married. International schools would love to hire you. And that kind of like something like, like, oh, I'm like a commodity in that sense. Someone would hire me. But at the same time, it's like, you're alone. Right. Like, right. They're happy to have you because there's only like, one of you. You're cheaper that way. Like, right. <laughs> you don't come with baggage. Right. Okay. So I, I actually interviewed at a school in Dubai. Wow. I, I, I thought about like, you know, I did an interview with the principal there and like, Sounds great. And then he t- described where I'd be living. I'm like, that sounds amazing. And then he said, like, well, you'd be mostly on campus the entire time within like the confines of the campus. I'm like, that sounds more like a prison than anything. <laughs> like, that's not good. Um, so I'm fortunate I didn't get another interview with that school. Um, but uh, yeah, the so having a support system moving forward definitely was helpful. And I don't think I would have done it otherwise. Um, but everyone else around me certainly shot. Why'd you come back? Uh, besides Florida being too hot, too crowded, and too flat, uh, (laughs) one was one was uh, certainly family reasons. Uh, my grandmother passed away that same year. Um, and I remember March of 2018. I was just kind of frustrated with where I was, uh, you know, I was feeling isolated. I had friends, but they were moving on with their life, kind of like what you were saying before. They got married and, you know, they're doing their thing. And I always felt like third wheel. And don't get me wrong. They made me feel very accepted. They always included mm-hmm. me and things like mm-hmm. that. And, uh, and so I'm eternally grateful to them uh, for, for everything that they've done for me. But uh, for me, I, I was just like, well, they go and do their they go and do their thing and like I kind of do my own thing. I don't know. I try to I'm kind of introverted, so like trying to get out there was really hard and I tried a number of times. And so in March of that year I, I made the decision that I was not going to stay for another school year. I did try to think I did think like, well, if I move to a different town in Florida, I thought about like selling off of most of my possessions and putting all my money into like a studio apartment on the beach, like and be that guy instead. Yeah. Uh would be a good idea. Looking back now, that'd be an awful idea. That would it's so idea. not you. I mean it's yeah, so it glamorous. Good idea. Right? It's right. so good. It's, yeah. it's oh my God. Patrick does this all the time. Patrick it, oh sorry to leap from this, right? He no. will will be out and sh- and you know shopping or looking at stuff or whatever. This one's perfect and you will love this. Carhartt jackets. He loves Carhartt jackets. And he always, right. And it's like, oh, I'm going to get a Carhartt jacket and I'm going to get some work boots and I'm going to get, and I'm like, who is this person? Like, you don't have this life. You are not like, I get it. It, He's, he's picture perfect. Right. But it's, it's not you. And so the, the bachelor on the beach in Miami, like straight out of, you know, two and a half men, like I get it. It's glam, but oh my God, it's so not you. Right. Right. And and if if Patrick does want those things, like I always need help stacking wood and splitting wood. So he can put that stuff to use. I Uh, will tell him this weekend. So, (laughs) but like, even like, I think I threw my wife through because like when we moved, I was like, we have property and needs to be maintained. So right now, every weekend I tell her I'm going to 
do some chores. I do my chores around the house or outside. And yeah, I put on my, my boots and go outside. She's like, who are you? Yeah. This is not the the guy I met. So, so now that we've said that we have to back up two steps because you, I think did a lot of your sort of like churning and transition, like probably internally. I mean, I know you had the big move to Florida and back, but like a lot of that sort of happened, I think, over time. And then <laughs> in about a year, tell us what you did. <laughs> so, all right. So I turned 40 in March 2021. So like March 2020 uh, pandemic. And at that by that point in time, I kind of fully resigned myself into eternal bachelorhood. And you know, you do what most people and they're single. And they're single. What they do is uh, you get on the dating app. And so that summer, twenty twenty, in full lockdown mode, I'm like still trying to date and do like remote dating. I did like a Zoom date and all that other stuff. And one of the dates on Bumble, I have to give them credit for it. Their credits due. That's wonderful woman on there. And we're like, well, what do you do for a pandemic date? So you're really limited. Like you can't go to restaurants really. And you don't know where other people are at, like their comfort level. And so like we met up at a park and we had this like date there. I brought snacks, I brought a cooler full of snacks. And so we ate snacks, sat on a park bench for like three hours. Our butts were very sore afterwards. Like I'm sitting on a hard surface. And Things kind of went on from there. You know, that's August of 2020. Fast forward to the following year, January, February, we're like, well, this seems to be going well. Like we talked about marriage and we started looking at houses. And then that just kind of like sped everything up. And so like we started looking at houses and, and, and I, we talked about marriage and then I ended up proposing um, in May after we had found out that. One, we put an offer in on the house, which we ended up getting in August of that year. But in around April, we found out that she was pregnant. So moving from looking at houses in January, March of 2021 to let's get married to, oh crap, you're pregnant, to engaged, actually getting the house in August, married in September, like, like everything. It's just been blowing up and and talk about ticking off all the boxes of big life things. Like, yeah, yeah. When I go big, I go big, I guess. I don't know. Um, you sure do. It, it, it really, and like, I realized what I wanted and what I had. And I wanted to lose that. But it was something uh, that had come to my realization last year. At the end of the, I guess the pandemic will do that too when you think long and hard. Like, could this be the end? And right. so, things I never thought I wanted before turned out to be things that I really wanted. Namely, being uh, finding someone to spend the rest of my life with. Um, I never wanted to have kids before, and when I found out she was pregnant, eventually I warmed up to the idea. Like, well, if it happens, it happens. Like having kids, and then like finding out that. My wife was pregnant. It was like I was very excited, and it was not the initial reaction I thought I'd have. And like dread 
was going, I, I would have thought, if I would put money on it, like, oh, dread would be the emotion you feel. Um, but it was not. It was, uh, it was excitement instead. So it's remarkable about how much growth someone can have in a short amount of time, I guess. Like, I don't know. It's, it's just crazy to think about, like, the past year, um, all the big changes. And I feel like great things. I feel like for you, you you're like those bands you hear of that are like, oh, hey, they're an overnight success, except that they've been touring around the country in a nine passenger van for eight years. Right. Like you put in the work, you, you know, did the due diligence, you did sort of like the personal growth and the introspection and the and then you had your overnight success. Right. Where you you sort of checked all the boxes in a year, which just makes me giggle (laughs) because go big. (laughs) Right. But I don't know. It's cliche when people say like, oh, when you know, you know, kind of Mm -hmm. thing. But it was kind of like that. It was what makes it work. And what clicked was really like, I go back to that, like I was saying before about, you know, the change in how I viewed my role as an educator. It kind of also changed what I look for in other people. And that was, I can't be with anyone unless they have a certain set of values and beliefs that align with mine. And, and being with someone like my wife is a nurse, and so for me, like you know, it's a it's a position similar to teaching where you, you have to give back. And you know, there there's a there's a, and I'm not trying to come off as pious or pretentious. You're not, but there's like a um, a duty or a responsibility that that is inherently part of the job and that was important to me. I feel like that's one thing that like kind of came up to the top of the list. And, and, uh, because before, like I didn't really think about that in the dating world because I'd resigned myself to being the bachelor. And sure. so like that would, that was lower in the list. So, so meeting her and seeing like an equal in that sense and equal in that, uh, but also equal in snarkiness was important, you know, have the sarcasm, like that was really good too. So I was like, okay, like I could live with this person. And, and now that we're expecting a first child in like eight, no, six weeks, oh uh, she's due. Um, we only hope that our child is a good person, but is also snarky. Uh, we don't care about anything else at this point. <laughs> All you need is 10 fingers, 10 toes, and a nice sensibility of wise ass. Exactly. That's all you need in a person. (laughs) Well, clearly the baby will have it because um, it's coming from you guys. So that's wonderful. All these transitions happening so quickly. Do you feel a sense of whiplash or do you feel a sense of calm? Do you feel a sense of inevitability? Like how, like this is a lot in inside, uh, you know, just under a year and a half. How, how are you internalizing these things? How are you coming to terms with them? I think we've been doing a good job internalizing it. There's definitely days where like the other day, like we both looked at it, her belly. It's now like she's kind of very popped, you know, like she's eight months pregnant and we both like, Looked at her belly and like big eyes, like, oh gosh, like, oh no. It's definitely uh, every now and again, like, what did we get ourselves into? And uh, we did that with the house too. Like, we looked around and like we bought weight. We didn't, we bought a bigger house than we expected to buy. Um, the opportunity came up for this wonderful property, and we're like, well, we'd be stupid not to buy it because it's a wonderful home, but it was bigger than we wanted. And it's like, 
you know, a barn. Like, I'm not a barn person. Like, I'm a barn person now, but <laughs> sure. But it's like, like, what did we do? Like, but we know that, like, it's all good in the end. Like, it, it's, you know, we wouldn't want it any other way. Yeah. So, a lot of craziness up front, a lot of uh, big changes up front, but I think it's all going to be good on the road. That's awesome. What is it about where you are that makes you really feel like you're on the right path as opposed to the paths, all the paths you took before that maybe weren't the wrong path, but they weren't the right path, right? Maybe they were just part of the journey or a tangent or a, I think you and I have talked a little bit before about the hero's journey, you know, with the hero's journey, there are so many in gaming uh, lingo, right? There's so many side quests (laughs) and, and it's not necessarily that they're the wrong path because they make you who you are, but is there a difference between how you felt on some of those tangent paths and how you feel now, just sort of internally, like in your heart and your soul and your stomach? So like with the hero's journey, like, you know, the hero has like a mentor and the mentor kind of helps the, the hero along and, I think back and I think about the people that in my life that I respected the most and influenced me the most. And, and the, the, the hero goes on quests and they go through um, challenges and all that. And then eventually they go back to their, their real world. So my, like my trip to Florida is one of those quests, you know, that you eventually come out of stronger in the end, right? That kind of thing. And so with now, with all this craziness that's happened in my life if anything there's not been doubt in any of it like the amount of doubt like i I, i'm notorious for like doubting myself and second guessing myself i never second guess myself about proposing to my wife i never doubted wanting to start a life with her and i think that's what's different uh was like the confidence well everything that's happened before was just building up my confidence to really take what i want that matters to me the most. So I think that's what the past few years leading up to my 40s prepared me for the most. Like, so there's never any doubt at all. You know, like people, when they get married, they say, oh, I'm so nervous about getting married and all that. Like that didn't, ex- that, I wasn't nervous at all. I was not nervous. And I was a blithering mess of a human trying to read a book quote uh, that we wrote for each other. We selected quotes from different books that we like. So I was blithering mess during that, but I wasn't nervous because I knew uh, I was making the right decision. It's so interesting that you say that. I, I love that. I love that thought process about the confidence and the and the doubt. I remember this is one of those really clear memories. I was um, at a bachelorette party for uh, a woman I used to know, and she and another woman were there both. Well, she was obviously getting married. The other woman was already married. And I was dating a guy at the time who meh, wasn't that nice to me. And, um, was very cavalier with me and my feelings. And I remember we were sitting like at an outdoor restaurant and you know, there were like, I was texting with him or like I texted him and he hasn't texted me back. And I was sort of like that drama of, of sort of being with the wrong person. And I remember sort of talking to these two women and they sort of looked at each other and they were like, oh, yeah. Do you remember that? Mm, Yeah. Like that just like that didn't exist in their worlds. And and they weren't unkind about it. Obviously, they were friends. But to me, there was like a like a 
what, what, what are you talking about? Like, cause that had always been that, that not right fit and not, not feeling confident had always sort of been a part of my relationships. And now with Patrick, I so get it. And I, you know, so understand that the calm at your core, right. You're, there's no longer a, you know, a tempest inside your belly, you know, of, you know, nerves or wondering, or, you know, it's, it's just, there's calmness there. Mm -hmm. And, and it is so, um, comforting. It's such a wonderful feeling. And so I get what those two women were saying that day, that, that feeling of, of just being comfortable and confident in your relationship with someone and knowing, you know, even if things, you know, get bumpy or things get grumpy, it's like, you know, it's nothing to worry about. Mm-hmm. So no, I totally agree. Yeah. Do you ever feel any nostalgia for the person you used to be for that life you sort of left behind? Sometimes. Sure. I think, you know, now that like, like looking at fatherhood, especially, it's, you know, there, there's definitely the time part of it or the lack of schedule that I miss the most. I think that's what I, I long for the most of being able, and my wife and I have talked about this, being able just to, to get up and go somewhere for the day and not really have to worry about anyone else's schedule or anything like that. And now it's the uh, never ending list of things to do, whether it's with the house or preparing for the kid to arrive or, or anything like that. And it's, it's never ending. I realize that like, well, I like doing the things around the house. I, I like doing the chores and all that. And I might regret saying that now, late, later on, but now it's, uh, you know, I get excited to do those things. I don't know if it's because it's new, but, you know, maybe 10, five, 10 years down the road, I'll think of that as nostalgia and want to, like, oh man, I miss, miss, miss the days of stacking some wood. Right. <laughs> um, but, uh, like, cause I get excited to do that now. I get to go stack some wood right now. Like, that's what I got to do this weekend. All right. Like, uh, but yeah, for, right now it's the, the, the lack of schedule and flexibility. And then I thought about it and I'll be honest, like, like not that long ago, I, I was thinking, I thought to myself, well, what if I didn't meet her? What would things have been like? And like, I probably would have been in another relationship with someone that right out of the bat would be fought. And I knew that was awful, but. I probably wouldn't stay. And, uh, or, or the other thing was like, well, if I didn't meet my wife, what would I have done this past summer, summer of 2021? Like I probably would have gone places. I probably would have traveled and, but yet, you know, been able to see all these great things, but not be able to share it, whether besides like on social media, but that kind of counts, but not actually make the memory. You know, right. it just me and like, you know, taking a selfie from like Mount Rushmore or something. I don't know. And that's fun and all, but it's it's better when you have company. Yes, make the memory work. And so yes. now, like it's for me, it's doesn't really matter as much destination or anything like that. No, a trip to Target can be memorable mm-hmm. if you're right with the right person. And I think that's something I've I've come to realize over the past year. It's turning forty. I agree completely. We went on a vacation maybe a year, maybe two years ago now. We were, you know, planning for a vacation. I'm like, you know, where should we go? Where should we go? And and Patrick was saying, I want to go to Seattle. He was like 
adamant on going to Seattle because he wanted to live yeah. out some night, you know, you know exactly where I'm going, right? He wanted to live out some like 1992 grunge fantasy tour in Seattle. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I lived through the nineties. I had, you know, zero interest in grunge, but <laughs> it was, it was an adventure he was so excited about. Yeah. And we had so much fun and he was so lit up like a tree that I didn't care that it, it, that there wasn't really anything there that I I was that interested in. Don't get me wrong. I loved Seattle. We had a wonderful time. We'll go back. That's how much we liked it. But it, it was not a trip that was like, quote unquote, for me, right? It was, it wasn't a shared trip. Like, oh, we should go here. It was like, no, this was a fantasy Patrick has had since 1992 and we have to go live it. And it was spectacular. And the memories, like you say, the memories we shared and just, you know, going to Easy Street Records and seeing, uh, you know, a mural, the mother love bone mural on the side of the, on the side of the building. Like this is stuff like this is language. These are words I had never heard before. It wasn't even like this was in my, you know, pop culture periphery. It was, it was all brand new, but, but it lit him up so much that it, it just made me so happy to be there with him. So, and I sort of feel like, you know, we could do the same thing. Well, we don't do it at Target. We do it in the grocery store. We have so much fun at the grocery store. I, I think it's probably anybody listening to this might be like, like that's a little <laughs> gross, but it's true. Are we that couple, like that thing? <laughs> we are. We, yeah. we literally dance in the aisles at the grocery store and we wonder whether or not we're going to be on the Christmas party reel. Like, mm-hmm. you know, when, when they like take out like the embarrassing things that the customers do and put it together on yeah. the Christmas reel. We like, I wonder if we made the Christmas reel on that one. Yeah. It's yeah, it's ridiculous. I, I so just am so happy for you to have found all of these things at one. Thank um, you so much. Yeah. It's, it's been a whirlwind for sure, but it's uh, the best one to be in, I think. Absolutely. Very fortunate. Abs- you are so fortunate and it is such a wonderful whirlwind. And you have only yet just begun because in uh, in eight weeks, I think your world is going to change quite a bit. Yep. Yep. It's exciting. There is a little bit of fright, but it's exciting. It's good fright, you know. Um, it's a good kind of scary, but yeah, it's all going to change. But I think uh, we're excited. Definitely are. I can't, I can't wait for you. Eric, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. I have enjoyed our conversation so much and um, I just am so grateful that you agreed to come and chat with me. No, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked what you heard today, please subscribe wherever you listen and share with your friends. If you or someone you know has a great story about either a midlife personal evolution or specifically about turning 40, I want to hear it. And I probably want to invite that person to join me on the podcast. Go to 40drinks.com slash contact to submit a name. Now listen, I'm glad we have a week before the next episode. That should give you time to go to the grocery store, head to the deli and buy some bologna. Because I'm going to need you to do like Steve Martin and put a slice of bologna in each shoe so you 
feel funny because next week I am talking to an exceptionally funny lady who spent 15 years doing stand-up comedy, most of that in New York City. But as she approached her 40th birthday, she started to wonder if she wanted to do comedy anymore. I hope you'll join me for my conversation with Selena Kopic. The 40 Drinks podcast is produced by Outpost Productions and presented by Savoir Faire Marketing Communications. 